Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are WFMPLP Louisville, broadcasting from the top of the historic Habern building here at 106.5 FM and live streaming to the whole world, anywhere you have an internet signal at forwardradio.org. And of course, we want you to go online to become a part of this community radio station. We built it for you. It's radio for the people, by the people, and that means people getting in behind the microphone in all kinds of different ways. So go to forwardradio.org and click participate today. And we also rely entirely on listener sponsorship. We have no advertising. We have no uh, grants. It's all just people like you and me chipping in a few bucks every now and then to keep us on the air. And that's how we make this radio magic happen. So go to forwardradio.org and become a part of it today. Well, what we do each week on Sustainability Now is bring in folks from around the community who are doing the good work of working on environmental, social, and economic issues all at once and, and trying to create a better world, making it happen today. And certainly a part of that in our community is making green spaces and connecting people with nature. And so today I'm really excited to highlight the work of the Waterfront Botanical Garden. And I want to welcome two people who are on staff there, Wanda Peck and Allison Whitehouse. Welcome, y'all. Hello. Thank you very much. So Wanda Peck is a, they're both Louisville natives, by the way, and Wanda is the youth education specialist for the Waterfront Botanical Gardens. And she's just started her position right before the pandemic hit. Uh, so we're going to talk about how that's affected things for her. And Allison Whitehouse has been there sort of since the beginning, before even groundbreaking. She started with uh, Waterfront Botanical Gardens in January of 2017, right? Uh, yep, that's and she's the adult engagement manager today. Uh, so we're going to talk about what that means and how how the gardens are trying to engage uh, both adults and youth and just share the share the whole history of the project. I've been wanting to highlight this work for so long, and I feel so bad. It's been on my to-do list. The Waterfront Botanical Gardens finally had its grand opening in October of last year, right? You all want to talk about that and the process leading up to it? Oh, sure. I guess we're kind of coming up on a year now. Wow. Um, so we were kind of really in the mad dash <laughs> right. toward uh, getting that all kind of jockeyed into position. But uh, we opened on October 4th October uh, last 4th. year. And then we had a whole week of kind of opening festivities, you could say. So we had a, a thing every day from the day we opened until a week later when we concluded with our regeneration fair and first ever bug ball. We started our first kind of like baby docent program, which is something I was in charge yeah. of, of course, getting all the plantings in the ground. So we had a lot of volunteer hours going into that with our horticulture team. Things were ready for the actual ceremony itself on the 4th. We had about 600 come that day. Wow. New media, politicians, businesses, community members. I mean, it was really amazing. Well, because people had been looking forward to this moment for so long, right? That's right. This, yep. was, this, was, a, this was a long-term process of, of getting this vision off the ground that had been sort of floating around for so long, right? Oh, yeah, for, for years. I mean, there have been many iterations of trying to get a botanical gardens yeah. in Louisville. But this specific one, like our iteration of the iterations, really started getting off the ground about 2010-ish. So it was still like before my time, but in the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So tell us about where it is and sort of the, the site itself. So where it is, is at the corner of Frankfurt Avenue and River Road. So a lot of people are like, wait, Frankfurt Avenue goes that far? And, <laughs> yeah, wait. And yes, it does. <laughs> so that's, that's right. one of our history points, like that little strip from Story Avenue to River Road used to be called Ohio Street. And our land was actually the Ohio Street neighborhood back in the 1800s. And it had about 135 homes, homes, businesses. First, it was more upper class, and then it trended more working class, kind of as the century went on. So yeah, it was a neighborhood first. And then, of course, the 37 flood happened. Right. Neighborhood. Uh, then it became the Ohio Street dump. And then for about another 40 years, it was the dump. Uh. And then for another several decades, it just sat as an empty field. And now it's getting turned into a botanical garden. Right, because this is inside the flood wall, right? This is in the floodplain mm -hmm. of the Ohio River? Uh, right. So, do, so does the garden plan to what, what would happen in a flood, I guess? Well, we have had some. So I guess you remember back in 2018, we had that pretty bad one in yeah, February. Yeah. And that strip of Frankfurt Avenue was underwater. Wow. So our land is actually about 25, 30 feet above street level. So up on the gardens, it's fine. Okay. But access could be an issue. You have to work the access, right? Mm. And it's a former landfill, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. So that's that was part of what made this a complicated project, right? And why the land had been neglected for so long. Right. That's right. So it was an eight-year process uh, when they did close the dump in the 70s to get it all the way down. So from 73 to 81. Wow. And mm -hmm. I want to bring Wanda in, too. You weren't there for the, all of this planning process since you just started, but I'm wondering if you've noticed, does the garden try and integrate sort of the site history as part of the environmental education that you all do? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So we've only been open, obviously, for a short period of time. And for a lot of that time, we have been wrapped up in the COVID-19 period. But yeah, absolutely. In fact, anything that we do in terms of training volunteers or anyone that comes on grounds and talks with one of our volunteers or one of our garden guides, we absolutely give them the history of the site because that is so important. These foundational years, these first few years of why we're doing this, why the site is important. Yes, we're excited about having a botanical garden. Yes, it's going to be a beautiful site and a great place for our community to come visit and see beautiful flowers. But there's also a pretty good story to it. And the site is very significant where it is. So I how did this get chosen as the site for the Waterfront Botanical Garden, of all places? Mm, that's actually a really good question. Um, I know that some other locations were proposed yeah. back 80s, 90s. There was a location, uh, Cherokee Road, a location out Dorsey Lane. But I think just the proximity to downtown yeah. is really appealing. And Waterfront Park, of course, so I think just kind of that whole downtown corridor was a very attractive and like just re-greening an urban space, bringing yeah. more green to the downtown area. Yeah, I love that that became part of the mission. I mean, it's easy to put a, a lovely place in a spot that's already <laughs> lovely and visited by people, but to make this sort of ignored spot, long neglected spot into something wonderful as an attraction for our city instead of a blight on our city is is so valuable, such a great contribution. I really honor the, the gardens for doing that work and making that transformation a reality. That is, that's not easy. <laughs> no. And we're very fortunate because not only are we building the botanical gardens on top of this landfill, but we also back up to Beargrass Creek, 
which is a, you know, a huge spot in Louisville where a lot of people have a lot of compassion and passion about cleaning that area up and making sure that we are changing our habits in terms of what's going into Beargrass Creek um, and what's going onto the ground around Beargrass Creek and keeping it clean. Yeah, again, and essential for environmental education is to understand our watershed and how impaired the Beargrass Creek watershed has been because we channelized it and we kind of hide it, right? You can't even see it and get to it. And part of the vision, I, I, I understand, as I understand it, of the, of the gardens is to re-engage with the creek, right? I, I know no, this project is still ongoing. Not everything is completed, but isn't part of the idea to have visitors be able to see the creek and interact in a different way? Well, it's good you mention that because uh, we actually have a feature, the Beargrass Creek Pathway, that should be opening up here in the next few weeks and long awaited, which connects the education center down to the Butchertown Greenway and Beargrass Creek. Oh, cool. Yeah, let's get that out and clear. What's happening at the gardens in the middle of the pandemic? Is it open? What's the deal? We are open. We were closed for a lot of the spring. So our first spring, we were closed. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> we were open we still- on the weekends in June and July. Right. And now we're back to our regular hours. So we, we still grew beautiful flowers. Everything was gorgeous, but there just was no chance for the public to see it. We could see it. Yeah, and I'm sure you took pictures and (laughs) shared on social media and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Oh, we've been sharing. (laughs) Yeah. So what are your regular hours then? So regular hours are Wednesday, Friday, Saturday from 10 to 4, uh, Thursday from 10 to 7, and Sunday from 12 to 4. Oh, okay, cool. And I assume there's an admission price. Is this a membership-based organization? Like, does it work kind of like the zoo, or what's that look like? One day it will, but right now, uh, because we're just still not done yet, it's free to come visit uh, because we've only got about five-ish or so acres done. But one day there will be an admission price. And we do have memberships now, but it's really just more for like a few discounts on some classes with us. So it's still a very like reasonably priced membership just because there's no admission yet. Yeah. And it was it was donations that kind of brought this to reality, right? I mean, part of the reason, I guess, for this site is this was city-owned land, right, that was available, I don't know, for, quite affordable for the organization to, to launch, right? Right. So all those house deeds had to be consolidated hmm. um, before we could buy it. So that was work done by our board. And then, yeah, I mean, they sold it to us for a dollar. Okay. Which is kind of their show of support. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I know the city's been behind this project from the beginning because it's a it's a great attraction, right? It's is it I'm I assume it's now like on the visitor and tourist board's uh, radar, right? As something to come yep. to Louisville for. Mm-hmm. And and do, have you been keeping track? I mean, it's been, only been open since October, but have you been keeping track of like, who's coming to the garden? All kinds of people. Yeah. All walks of life. Uh, like anybody, like literally everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is there a check-in process? Like where you give your zip code or something? Uh, no, just come. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Just come visit. And, and how big is the site? You mentioned there's like five acres that are developed now, but what's the grand 23 point? total. 23 acres. Cool. And that stretches from uh, Frankfurt Avenue all uh, pretty much to the Beargrass Greenway. Is that what it's called? Uh, right. Butchertown Greenway. Butchertown Greenway. Thank you. Um, which has always run along the creek, but because kind of hard to find and was a little isolated. Uh, and now y'all are connecting a, a walking path through the gardens to that? Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, wow. And what would people see when they came to the gardens? Let's Let's paint a picture in their minds. 
So right now, it's mostly the Grazer Family Education Center, and then the surrounding plaza, gardens, water wall, edible gardens, and then soon to be Butchertown, Greenway, Beargrass Creek area. Water wall, did you say? You have done is very uh, well done. Oh, cool. Wow. Tell us about the water wall. The water wall is a granite feature. It's on the end of the West Plaza, and you can see kind of downtown Louisville skyline through it. Very cool in the evenings. Oh, yeah. That's something I hadn't even really thought about, but the, there must be a great view. Oh, yeah. Being up high and that close to the city. Yeah, we got some, we've got views. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> and and I, I, I assume part of the idea was that events might be held at the garden because of its wonderful oh, location. Yeah. <laughs> so we had <laughs> we had quite a few events on the calendar this year that unfortunately uh, had to uh, uh. not be on the calendar anymore. But <laughs> yeah, that is the, the idea that people will use that space to just come have their events, experience the gardens. They kind of are picking back up again now that things are kind of reopening a bit. Right. So we are getting a few more bites for events. Yeah, yeah. So I, I should mention, if people want to follow along, right, and and, and see what's going on at the garden, uh, you all have a website, waterfrontgardens.org, but are you also on social media that people should know about? Yep. Facebook, Waterfront and Instagram. Facebook Instagram. Cool. Um, speaking today with two staff members from the, I guess I want to say newly opened, uh, opened in October, just before the newly lockdown. reopened, opened, opened. Yes. <laughs> the Waterfront Botanical Gardens down on Frankfurt Avenue. Yes, where it meets up with River Road. Now, people might be familiar with this because there's kind of an odd structure in the middle of the road. Tell us about mm -hmm. that. So that is the High Gold House facade. And the High Gold House was once a house on our property. We know that it was roughly about where the bus turnaround is now. So if you're ever up there and you're at the bus turnaround, be like, oh, the house used to be here, but uh -huh. like 25 feet straight down. And it was built by a German immigrant and stonemason named Christian High Gold. It was very much a labor of love. Yeah. And it was also the only house that uh, withstood the 37 flood. So oh. that's also very significant. Oh, is that what? Yeah, so this is a house facade. You you may recognize you can see through the doorway, for instance, uh, that's in the middle of Frankfurt Avenue there down by River Road. Uh, and so if you're trying to like place this, where is this in Louisville in your mind? That's that's where it's at. <laughs> yeah. We always use that, like, you know that thing in the middle of the road? Like, oh, yeah, I know that. So then, oh. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other neighbor to you is the Metro Impoundment lot, right? And that's been in the news. We've talked about it on this program, too. You know, thoughts about maybe relocating that to a place that's less environmentally sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, has the waterfront gardens weighed in on that? Or what do you all think about your neighborhood, I guess? Well, we are definitely interested in that property, uh, should it ever go elsewhere. So we do, we have kind of mocked up some plans for like what we would do in the event that we could have a, a stab at that land. So we do have ideas for what we would do with it. But you know, obviously, until it goes somewhere else, those are just that plans. And even still, there's the whole process of being the ones to get said land. Right. What, what else is in the neighborhood? There's there's some like small restaurants and things like that. Yeah, there's the bar. It was the Butchertown Social, I believe now Gold Bar down at the corner of Story and Frankfurt. There's Lupo Pizza. Oh, yeah. There's the Sea Ray dealership right across the street. Uh -huh. um, the Allied Concrete. So it's a very interesting mix there yeah. on our strip. Yeah. 
And is there a sidewalk now? Is it walkable? I'm trying to imagine like someone coming to the garden and walking to the pizza joint. Not presently, oh, but man. we actually are working on that. Um, so in partnership with the city, getting a sidewalk built on that stretch yeah, that, of the street. That's very important to us because people do, I mean, all the time they walk up and down Frankfurt Avenue. And a lot of people, pedestrians, walk either from Waterfront Park or from Frankfurt Avenue. They walk to the site. They walk up the big giant hill to get to us. So we are, we definitely think about those pedestrians a lot because they that foot traffic is a huge part of the patrons that are coming to the gardens right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm a bike commuter, so I, I would get there on a bike. And it's 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 right near this great resource of the Louisville Loop, right? The, and and on, the, on the waterfront bike trail. And I can imagine someone coming up on a Louvelo bike share, but they still have that crossing, you know, river road there. It's, it's not super bike friendly, but I don't know. What do you all think about that? So our offices are actually not on the site proper. They're in the condos across River Road. Oh, right. Yeah, when we're at that stop sign there at River Road, Frankfurt Avenue, it's like, oh, do I want to try to like risk my life and drive straight across? <laughs> or am I just going to turn right and then go down a bit and take a left? So, yeah, it's like, it's sometimes hard to tell how fast people are coming down River Road. It's yeah. like, do I risk my life today? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it seems crazy overbuilt, too. There's not really that much traffic because it's so wide. People are kind of encouraged to speed. So maybe that's an improvement. We'll yeah, see. It's, just, it's very deceptive. It's like, yeah. are they coming faster? Yeah. Maybe? I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, Justin, I have to tell you if, you, if you pump your legs and you come up that hill on your bike, yeah. make sure you bring your mask with you because we are requiring masks, even though it's outdoors only. So I've seen a few people ride up the hill on their bikes and then sadly i said well you have to wear a mask oh, <laughs> and then wow. they just had to, had to turn around and go down so it's a big hill and it's worth it it's absolutely worth it when you get up there but make sure you bring your mask with you that's a great point and are you trying to do physical distancing how are you uh, how are you having interacting with those visitors we have signs up all over outdoors so as people come up they know immediately that we are requiring them to wear masks even though it is an outside attraction and um, we do ask that they keep six feet apart if possible. We have arrows on the ground which direct people and slow people around the Grazer Education Center. And, you know, overall people have been very open oh, good. to doing those things. So we've had very good reception with that. You know, people just generally wear their masks. So we've been mm -hmm. very excited about that. Well, I'll say, I mean, p during this lockdown, people have felt so cooped up. I think everybody's looking for a reason to get outside and, and maybe walk somewhere. So, hey, put the Waterfront Botanical Gardens on your list, right? Like this is a, a safe, I mean, and outdoor activities in general are safer, but this is a, a safe and well-managed place for you to come explore, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, and then our building, of course, back before the COVID times, uh, we would let people kind of come and walk around inside the building. We only have the bathrooms open and only allowing five people in that lobby space at a time. So since we're talking about people being cooped up, uh, one of the things we've been offering, and it's actually not on site, it's not at our main garden, it's at our satellite learning garden, which is out in Harrods Creek. It's called the Avish. Um, at our satellite learning garden, we've been offering these family programs and their weekend programs on Saturdays that families can come to. And it's just for people in your household. It's only you and our staff. Um, and we bring them in and we give them a tour of the garden. We do educational activities with them and their children. They create a family craft together. We go out and we see our, our pollinators, our beehive. 
and then we play some games and, and they get to take home some stuff from the garden as well, which, you know, we love to see and we love to give. So those are happening starting in September on Saturdays and you can learn more about those on our website as well. Oh, wow. Is that a pre-registration thing or you just show up? Yeah. So you just pre, you have to pre-register for it and there is, it's a fee. There's a fee that you pay for it, but all that information is on our website or you can find information about it on our Facebook page. Oh, cool. And it's, it's for the whole family. It's not like drop off your kids and run away. It is a family, it is a family program where you come and and you spend 90 minutes just relaxing and having fun with your family in the Avish learning garden. That's so cool. So you have bees, but not at the main site. It's out at this the satellite so site. We, we don't, right, exactly. And they are actually not managed by WBG. They're not managed by us. But there are, on this site, there are three hives oh, that wow. we have currently. They were just put in the spring, so we can't harvest any honey yet. We haven't harvested anything yet. But hopefully next year we're keeping our fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, but there's just so much out there. Like in the... The satellite garden is actually a part of a residential estate. So it's actually being kind of donated to us for the time. It's almost like a rental donation where we're borrowing it to do education programs as we continue to expand on the main site. But there's rolling fields there, um, over 20 acres there as well, um, lots of clover. And then, of course, we have all the vegetables and flowers in the garden. So plenty for those bees to take in. Wow. I didn't even thought about vegetables. Is that part of the main site? Yeah, so yeah, Elsie, you want to talk about the, the edible garden a little bit? You might be able to talk yeah. about Yeah, we do have two planting beds on the West Plaza at the main site where we kind of rotate some um, perennials and vegetables. So we've had some tomatoes and some peppers in there. But I would say that that's not like the main thing at all. It's just a, a small feature. So most of the vegetable production would be done out at the Avish. In addition, I was going to say on the site, as we're talking about pollinators here, we also have a pollinator garden on site. And there's a beautiful sculpture and misters that are attached to it. So they mist water out oh, and wow. that attracts the pollinators so the pollinators can come in and get a drink. And then there's flowers that attracts the pollinators all around there. So that's another beautiful spot that you have to see when you visit the site at WBG. Oh, wow. Yeah. I hadn't, I'm a beekeeper, so uh, I'm particularly interested in the pollinator part of this. And we've We've seen really the need to sort of restore habitats and feeding zones, way stations, right, for our pollinators uh, around the country, but even here locally, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so just this week, uh, so the cultivators, they're um, the young professionals group kind of of the Waterfront Botanical Gardens. And they've been doing this quarterly trivia out at um, Fall City Tap Room on Liberty. So it was on hiatus in June, but we were back it's Wednesday with cool. our next installment and we were giving away milkweed plants. Oh, so yeah. butterflies love their milkweed. <laughs> yeah, essential for the monarchs. And, and man, I was at Land Between the Lakes recently, which is a great place. <laughs> uh, wow, so much wildlife there. And qu- saw quite a few pollinators, but I was surprised at how little milkweed there is in a big natural area like Land Between the Lakes. There are a few spots in the bison prairie, especially where the monarchs were going crazy. Um, so I'm glad you are promoting that and trying to plant them. I've planted a few, uh, on, we, we planted quite a few actually on U of Els campus too, uh, to try to make little way stations for our monarchs. Yeah, we're seeing at the Avish Garden, which again is our satellite garden in Harrods Creek out in Prospect. I mean, just this week, there has just been a ton. I mean, we, we're seeing swallowtails too, but I mean, just, you know, it's so, it always seems like such a magical event to see a monarch pass by. And no matter how many times you see a monarch, you're like, wow, they're migrating. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're, they're here. They're in front of me. They're here. They're here. Magic. Uh, so, but we've, I've seen several 
on site at, down at the Avis Garden. Well, and, you know, that speaks, too, to the value of experiencing a place like the Waterfront Botanical Gardens at different times of year, right? Like, you're always going to see something different. It might be a different flash of color, uh, whether it's moving or it's something in bloom or leaves turning colors, right? Like, tell us a little bit about that, like how you've seen the site evolve over the seasons. Oh, yeah. So obviously lots of florals and colors in the spring. It's still in the summer, but maybe not quite as assertive. And then we haven't really gotten to experience fall yet because we were putting things in. Right. <laughs> kind of last fall and then get it like waiting. But then winter is all very, um, I guess, textural would be a word. Ooh. So not as colorful, but lots of interesting um, yeah. textures. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in my position as youth education specialist, as someone that's working with children, it's so important for me as an environmental educator to introduce children to all the, to nature in all the seasons, because that's how you truly learn to appreciate that. And then hopefully one day, of course, take care of that. But absolutely, get, get, you can see the garden in the winter. What's happening in the winter? What's happening underground in the winter? What's what are, what are those seeds doing? What are those insects doing underground? What are those worms doing underground in the winter? And then, of course, seeing things bloom and seeing things grow. It's been really cool so far, I think, to see our horticulture department just kind of the seasons that they've gone through. So I've been here. I was here there, you know, here in winter. I'm seeing them start planting for early spring, harvest in early spring, start planting for summer. Now we've seen them, you know, harvest for summer. And now we're planting cold season crops again. And so that's just so cool to experience that, um, to have sort of that visual calendar that you get to experience as an adult is very cool too. So in both senses, in my job and in my personal self, I, I just love it. Yeah. I, I don't know if you all have had the experience of living in a place without seasons, but I've lived in the tropics and it was one of the most magical things about returning to the temperate zone. It was like, I, have ne- I have never lived in the tropics, but I did live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, okay. That's uh, which is a very enough. hot and humid place for most of the year. So we had uh, a hot season and then a little less hot season. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I have only ever been temperate and north. Yes, yes. <laughs> But yeah, it's just one of the things that we should really celebrate about Kentucky is that we have all four seasons and they're all have their value and their magic. I'm a big winter lover. A lot of people don't like winter for some reason, but I just my favorite season. Snow is so magical. Oh my gosh. And nature is so beautiful. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You get to wear more layers and your cute more sweaters. Yeah, that's important. That's a huge part of environmental education, let me tell you. Yeah. But no, it is it's it is gorgeous. And I love looking at sycamore trees, you know, and the limestone here in Kentucky. It's just oh, all yeah. kind of just blends in those neutral grays and browns and it's gorgeous. Yeah. And whenever you're feeling like you're suffering, like, oh, it's so hot or oh, it's so cold, you know you're going to get a reprieve that you just have to be patient and that new season will come. We're geeking okay. out hear about seasons and nature on yeah. sustainability now i'm speaking with two lovely guests from the waterfront botanical gardens wanda peck is their youth education specialist who just started this year right before the pandemic hit in february and allison whitehouse who's the adult engagement manager since uh well that's her title now but she's worked with the garden project <laughs> since january of 2017 uh you can check it out online at waterfrontgardens.org yes they are open to the public and it's 
free and there's some new trails that are going to be opening in September. So it's worth checking out, even if you've been there before. I guess it's an ongoing project, right? So there's kind of always something new happening. Uh, let's we've got 15 more minutes left, but let's start talking about those plans for the future. What, what, what else is going to come? So a year from now. So starting uh, starting this October. So as we celebrate our year anniversary, um, we're breaking grounds on a new complex. It's our uh, LMT Leslie learning classrooms. Um, and we're going to have a, a learning lab, like a classroom where we can have field trips come to the botanical gardens and we can teach them. Um, and then attached to that, we'll have a greenhouse that's a hands-on greenhouse where it's almost like a science lab, but it's a greenhouse at the same time. And we can take students in there, whether they're children or adult learners, and we can bring them in there and, and do some teaching it with our hands-on greenhouse as well. So that we break around then. So in a, a year from now, we'll have a whole new building and a whole new place to teach and share um, all of this great information about plants here in Louisville. Wow. And I know Allison wants to say something, but can I ask too about when Waterfront Botanical Gardens is building? Are you all thinking about the environmental impact of that structure and trying to use lead principles or something else? Talk a little bit about that. So our buildings are not lead certified, but they are designed to attain high levels of environmental efficiency. So yes and no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not certified, but yes, environmentally. Right, efficient. right. Okay. There's lots of ways to do it. Are you using any kind of renewable energy or is that part of the plan? We have geothermal oh, wow. in the building that we have now. And we have, um, it could be made solar uh, if we wanted. It is not currently solar. Uh, so I would say right now, geothermal is the big energy saver. Yeah, cool. Okay, excellent. What else is planned for the future besides this new greenhouse and learning center? Well, after that, as funding allows, we'll be moving into the final part of phase one. So this is all still in phase oh, one. Oh, wow. This is all phase phases. one. <laughs> this is all phase one, yeah. How many phases like, are there? Micro phases in phase one. Um, <laughs> But the last part of phase one is the um, the Japanese garden. We have a contract with a garden designer out of Kyoto. Wow. Um, one of, if not the best in the world. So that'll be a really huge deal when it's all done. So that'll be just to the north of the current Grazer Family Education Center. And it'll have a lot of the traditional features, shrine, bridge, pond, etc. So that's coming up after the new LNT Leslie buildings. Now, is there a connection to Japan or, or are we on a similar like latitude or why, why Japan? Well, a lot of botanical gardens do have a Japanese garden within them, but ours is, um, I guess it kind of goes back to one of our main donors, uh, Mr. Grazer. So the Grazer Family Education Center, I guess, is principally named after. Um, he, he was really into uh, bonsai plants. Oh, yeah. And he had a him. collection in Japanese gardens. So he's unfortunately passed away, but his family is still very involved. So a lot of stars aligned yeah. uh, last year and early this year and kind of were like, maybe we'll move this part of the project forward. We did, weirdly enough, um, the designer was in town kind of the week in March when everything began shutting down. So we had all these grand plans, like we had um, a dinner unveiling the Japanese garden and a reception and all these things. Yeah. And then everything was shutting down. So <laughs> womp, womp, womp. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So uh, that's all of phase one? With... So all of that. Yeah. Okay. This, this, yeah, that's all phase one. And then and what's then... phase two? So phase two is the visitor center. Oh. So um, kind of 
you know, your ticket window, offices, right. cafe, gift shop, all the traditional. And then the third phase is the conservatory. So there's kind of like three main anchor buildings, I guess, of each of the phases. So education center, visitor center, conservatory. So earlier when we were talking, we were talking about how important it is when people come to the site to talk to them about the history of the site. Because again, we have these you know, five acres that we've developed, but there's so much more to come. So not only when people come to the site, is it so important for us to tell the history of the site, but also to be able to share uh, the future of the site as well. Yeah. And so that conservatory, I'm, I've been to some in Chicago and things like that. I'm imagining that's where you might see like plants from around the world, deserts and mm -hmm. things like that, that we couldn't just put outside, right? Correct. Fun. That's right. And from a teaching perspective, you know, earlier we were talking about how lovely it is to live in an ecosystem here in a temperate forest where we have these four different seasons, but that's so great to be able to use our ecosystem to compare to places from around the world that maybe are tropical and do have a constant climate throughout the year, or do have a different type of precipitation than we do. Well, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about the whole educational programs and, and how you engage both youth and adults. Uh, uh, you mentioned some classes that are already happening and things like that. Uh, what's it all look like? What's the whole educational package look like? So we've been doing adult education since we've opened. And even, pr I believe, prior to us opening, there were some level of uh, education programs that were going on for adults. Mm -hmm. But I was hired on specifically in late winter to start working on um, youth education programs. So we, when I was hired on, we had a lot of stuff planned for the summer and obviously things got jumbled around a bit, but we did end up offering a three week summer camp oh, wow. um, that we did. We did, it's a very small group. We only did 10 learners, but we did a small summer camp program that was half day and it was very, we were very pleased with it. It was very successful. So that went great. But in addition to that, right now we're offering a lot of stuff for adults that's online. Like for instance, we have a garden to fork program that we're doing virtually. And there's a program coming up in September about soups. So if you're interested about if in good soup recipes for the fall, Fun. definitely check, check that out on our website. And then we also have coming up for families. In addition to those family tours that we have out at the Avish, on site, we have some programs coming up. They're going to be on the second Sundays of every month, starting in September. Again, just for a small amount of people, we're not, it's not a big, huge event. We want to keep it socially distanced and small so everybody feels safe and feels welcome as they come to the garden. But they're called Second Sundays, and those are family programs for ages 5 to 12. And then I also have a DIY workshop program that's coming up on Sundays, those Second Sundays that's for middle and high school students. And they kind of create a more advanced craft that's somehow botanical related, whether we make like a terrarium or we do some kind of planter or something like that. So those are coming up as well. And Allison can probably tell you a little bit more about our yoga programs. Oh, too. really? Yep. So in addition to uh, kind of the more gardening, garden to fork classes for adults, we also have a wellness program. So we do, we just started, we had our second one ever last night of Tai Chi. Oh, wow. And, and so we've added Tai Chi and we also do yoga, one yoga at the main site and then a yoga out at the Avish. And then we also just have events. So coming up, we have our next to last Music in the Gardens concert. So those have been on second Thursdays really? of the month. It's uh, so, it's sold out. Sold out. We've sold Joan, we've sold them all out. <laughs> it's Joan Shelley. So that one went really fast. Oh my god! Really, you know, right? She's fabulous and super well beloved here in Louisville. So it is sold out. So sorry if you wanted to get a ticket there, Justin. So all of these things are ticketed, like the yoga and stuff. I would I would go online in advance to get a ticket to. Yep. Okay. So everything is. 
you can register for it all through our online store. Great. Okay. Again, that's at waterfrontgardens.org. And you can also find them on social media if you want. Well, so we got about five more minutes or so. Um, is there anything else coming up in the future that you really wanted to talk about? Absolutely. On September 20th, we have our sixth annual regeneration fair. And this is our annual environmental fair where we bring folks out. It's free to the community. We have lots of vendors and we have uh, lots of organizations that are community partners that come and join us. And we have educational tables uh, for all family members, young and old, to come and visit us. This year, obviously, it's very important that everyone wears a mask. All of our staff, all of our vendors, all of our volunteers will be masked. And we will be practicing social distancing, but that doesn't mean we can't still have a good time. So that's September 20th, our Regeneration Fair, and that's on site at Frankfurt Avenue. Wow. I remember coming to one of the first, if not the first ones of those, when it was a tent on the old site, you know, before it groundbreaking. <laughs> but it was. It, it was still so cool. It was just a neat place to be. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't know that was still, that's happened every year? Yep. Every year for the, yeah, this will be the sixth one. Oh my gosh. Wow. I see. I'm so out of touch with the garden. Man, I got to get on it. I haven't even been since you opened. I feel so bad. Uh, but the fall will be the time for me to explore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we haven't talked too much about trees. We talked a little bit about them, but we talked focused mostly on like gardeny plants. So tell us a little bit about trees at the Waterfront Botanical Gardens. So trees... Unfortunately, we did have to clear quite a few just to get the construction going, but we have been putting back. So everything that went away, mostly Bradford pears and kind of junk trees that you don't really want anyway. So we've been putting back better ones. Some You can sponsor a tree. So oh. that's one of the items you can sponsor at the gardens. We also have an evergreen buffer that hopefully once it kind of fills in over the years will give us a little bit more of soundproofing against I-71. Mm. We actually have right now in the Beargrass Creek pathway area, because eventually when that grows up, um, it will be kind of like a, a shade garden, woodland garden almost. But I think once, you know, the trees do start to grow up, up there, it'll make a lot of difference with like the wind and the sun, because right now it is pretty intense up there because it's like a little, a little head poking up out of the ground. <laughs> so it's very bright and very windy. But oh, um, wow. once the trees start to establish cool are there native species uh, in amongst the trees or are you just trying to feature all kinds of cool things i think most of them are okay. right now or at least regionally regionally right. yeah i would say yes yes cool i i imagine future maple tapping workshops and <laughs> so much possibility your own waffles <laughs> yeah so <laughs> pancake parties i love it <laughs> well great anything else you want to highlight that's coming up I guess that yeah, regeneration fair. Regeneration is the big fair, one right September twentieth. Mm-hmm. Cool. September twentieth, free, free, free to the public. Please come visit us. Awesome. If that's not your thing, absolutely come visit us on the weekend. Just come with your family and and just come on a, on the weekend. It's very open and and a nice little place to walk around and relax. Awesome. Yeah. The the last note I wanted to end on was how our listeners can support the garden because it's such an important place and environmental education opportunity. So other than just visiting, how can listeners support the work? Purchase a membership. It's $25 for a single person for the year or $35 for a family for the year or $50 for a business or organization for the year. 
donations. We always love donations. Sponsorships, if there's an event or a piece of the gardens or an area of the gardens, have things sponsored. We've got bricks in that pathway that's near completion. So a brick in that pathway, you can purchase one of those. So, so there, you can choose whether you, you want to. volunteer, give us your time and energy. You can come to a class. That's another way to support the gardens. Right. You can tell your friends about it. Just spread the good word in the community. Yeah, tell us more about volunteering. I'm sorry, I stepped on you there. What What are the opportunities for volunteering? So volunteering, I'm in charge of that program, so that falls under adult engagement. And a general orientations with new people uh, the first Thursday and first Saturday of the month. So those are via Zoom. So I do three sessions. So I do an 8.30 session and a 5.30 session on the first Thursday and a 9 a.m. session on the first Saturday. And then once you've done kind of the preliminary, this is who we are, what we're about, the things you can do with us, then I kind of move people into their areas of interest. And then we just keep them apprised when new opportunities like, oh, we just posted a new gardening opportunity. Oh, we just posted a new landscaping, a new this so then you'll start getting pinged on all these different areas of interest for you as a volunteer. So so there's some physical labor, but also is there things like right. docenting and that kind of stuff? Right, correct. So the Garden Guide program uh, may be offering one more class of that sometime this fall. So those are the people who are just up there when you go to visit. Typically, they're wearing a blue shirt and a WBG hat, and they are happy to answer all your WBG questions when you come to see us. So yeah, that would be kind of low stress or <laughs> low stress, um, low physical activity. Right, just right. You're engaging the guests. And then, yeah, we have general gardening. So things like weeding or deadheading or uh, watering. And then we've got things that are a bit more intensive. Uh, so landscaping, so like mulching and shoveling rocks and removing brush and things like that. Back before, we did have more special event opportunities, so sure. uh, just general event assistance. We used to have a lot more community outreach volunteer opportunities, so like if we had a booth at a community festival, we would have volunteers help us come be there and spread the word. Let's hope so those happen again So there are different ways that maybe you don't like weeding or watering <laughs> right, or whatever, so right. you can still talk about the project. Cool. And Wanda, if people like working with kids, are there volunteer opportunities there? Yes, absolutely. So obviously my job is still, you know, I think that we're going to be calling ourselves a new organization for a few more years. <laughs> uh, but as a new employee, we're still getting things off the ground with the education programming in terms of what we're offering for children and families. But yes, absolutely. If anyone is interested, I would love anyone that's interested in working with children. I love retired teachers. If there's any retired teachers out there that want to come and, and hang out and teach kids about flowers and nature and animals, I'm your girl. Like, come hang out with me. I'd love to have you. So absolutely. Caveat, you must have your background check. Yep, yep. <laughs> you must, yeah, very important. Yep. <laughs> you must see Miss Allison Whitehouse get background check prior to working with children. Yes. yes, of course. Good. I'm glad you're doing that. Well, <laughs> friends, this has been great. I feel so regenerated having just even heard about everything that's going on at the Waterfront Botanical Gardens. And I personally look forward to getting out and exploring it. I invite our listeners to as well. Again, go to waterfrontgardens.org to learn more or just stop in during their regular hours. And it's all free right now. And then there's some uh, some pre-registration for classes and yoga and all kinds of stuff like that. So check it out at waterfrontgardens.org. Thank you both so much for taking the time today. This was great. 
Thank you so much. We're going to have our eye out for you, Justin. We're looking. Yeah, for that. We right. have to come yeah, visit us. Thanks for having us. We're gonna we're gonna see. Okay, I'll be the one. I'll be the one pumping my legs up that hill on my bicycle. So. Right. Once you get up, <laughs> once, once you get up to the top, we're gonna make you do some landscaping. Though, I so love that. Oh my gosh, that'll be fun. All right, you all. Thank you so much for taking the time. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a minute, our community action calendar with all kinds of ways for you to get engaged in our community and making sustainability a reality now. So stay tuned my friends. While the sun shines bright on my whole Kentucky home, tis summer and the people are gay. And the corn tops rise while the meadows are in bloom. Birds are making music all the day Said weep no more, my lady Oh, and weep no more today And we'll sing one song for my old Kentucky home For my old Kentucky home far away now the young folks roll on that little cap and flow Oh, maybe all happy and bright By and by hard times has come a-knocking at the door My old Kentucky home, good night I said weep no more, my lady, oh Song for my old Kentucky home, for my old Kentucky home far away. Dada Rico! back here on sustainability now that sweet music behind me is apple latin you can learn more about them at applelatin.com many thanks to them for giving us permission to use their great music in the podcast versions of all of our local programming which you can hear anytime you want at forwardradio.org we live stream there and we also archive our programs you're listening to Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. It's time for our weekly community action calendar here on Forward Radio. Get your calendars out and your pencils sharpened, my friend. Get ready to take action for sustainability this week. Well, hey, it's crazy. It's Derby Week in September. <laughs> this is Derby Week, so that must explain why there's fewer events than normal happening. Uh, but there are some, so let's take a look at the calendar. Coming up Tuesday, September 1st, I want to remind you that there is a weekly Smallidarity Kids and Family March for Black Lives. It takes place uh, 6 to 7.30 p.m. on Tuesdays. Time for the kids to lead, calling all parents, teachers, mentors. This is a whole family event, so bring everyone, even your pets, Meet up at 6 p.m. at the McDonald's across from Mid-City Mall at 1245 Bardstown Road. They march at 6.30. You can bring all sorts of noisemakers, bubbles, glow sticks, wear bright colored clothing, and bring messages of solidarity with Black Lives Matter. There will be snacks at Injustice Park afterward. You can get more information at facebook.com slash injustice square. 
Also on Tuesday at 7.30, hey, after you're done marching with the kids, you can join the Seating Reparations webinar series. Black Land and Power is building a land-based movement for black liberation. They're developing interdependent strategies that move us away from extractive economies dependent on the violent enclosure of land, labor, culture, power, wealth, and spirit. As we near the end of our reparations summer campaign, we'd love to keep building and deepening with you. Join us for the first of a series of webinars that will guide us into the next phase of our work together. The first webinar is on Tuesday the 1st at 7.30 p.m. and we'll be spending with time with Akua Deirdre Smith, Black Land and Power Organizer and Facilitator of Reparations Summer, to dig into the framework of land-based reparations. We look forward to continuing to build our collective liberation together. You can learn more at reparationssummer.com but if you want to register for the webinar series, go to tinyurl.com slash seedingreparations, tinyurl.com slash seedingreparations, that's R-E-P-A-R-A-T-I-O-N-S. More information at reparationssummer.com. Now, uh, Wake Up Wednesdays is starting this week. It's part of the fall campaign called A Sacred Calling, Community Safety for All, organized by Louisville Showing Up for Racial Justice, the Interfaith Coalition for Immigrant Justice, and Sowers of Justice Network. It includes weekly reflections and interfaith prayers and emerging conversations about community safety and policing. They are seeking people of faith to commit to this 12-week campaign to envision new approaches to community safety. More than ever, we are witnessing the perils between police brutality and brutal immigration enforcement. Ever bigger budgets, military-style weapons, surveillance technology, rhetoric that labels black and brown people as criminal. Clearly, some people in our communities are safer than others. As lovers of justice, we're called to examine the racism that undergirds these inequities. So please join us to build community among people of faith as we uh, together pray, learn, imagine, and act for racial justice. No one of us, no one faith community or coalition can do this work alone. We need each other. The goals of a sacred calling are to build and nurture community within and among faith communities, to focus on values that inspire and undergird our shared calling, to explore our complicity with white supremacy, to reimagine community safety, and to listen deeply to divest and invest proposals to create alternatives to violent policing and immigrant enforcement. We will engage in this work through several activities. Wake Up Wednesdays are virtual vigils that start this Wednesday, every Wednesday, noon to 12.30, led by faith leaders from a variety of traditions with a gathering of attentions, silence, and spoken reflections. You can join live via Zoom or watch the recording later. There'll also be in-person silent vigils every Wednesday starting this week from 5 to 5.40 p.m., gathering in the spirit of nonviolence right there at the Big Four Bridge, actually on the lawn just to the left of the bridge ramp. These will happen regardless of weather. All participants are asked to wear masks and stay 10 feet apart. If you need a chair, please bring your own. After a brief reading introduction, uh, the vigils will consist of three consecutive intervals of 8 minutes and 46 seconds for silent reflection, meditation, or prayer. Again, in-person vigils at the Big Four 
Four Bridge Ramp every Wednesday, 5 to 5.40 p.m. starting this week. And there'll be a series of teach-ins starting September 24th, October 22nd, and November 12th, 7 to 8.30 via Zoom. These are 90-minute workshops with a deep grounding in faith values, a listening to activists, and an imagining of alternatives. Again, this will be via Zoom, or you can watch it later. There's also weekly emails associated with this campaign with links to resources, connections to local and national actions, prayers, intentions, questions, and insights being shared by various campaign participants and other reminders and updates. So you can find the link to sign up to receive the weekly emails from the campaign at facebook.com slash Surge Louisville, S-U-R-J Louisville, or you can contact them at louisvillesurge at gmail.com. A couple of events coming up this week from, with our friends at the Waterfront Botanical Gardens. You can learn more about them at waterfrontgardens.org. And the events that start this week are Friday, September 4th, 8 a.m., early morning yoga at the gardens. It'll be the first Friday of the month throughout the fall. On Saturday, September 5th, as mentioned, it's Family Adventures at the Alvish Garden. Uh, Saturdays through September 26th, there's multiple times of day you can register to bring your family 10 a.m., noon, 2 p.m., or 4 p.m. Take your pick. Register for these great events at waterfrontgardens.org. Coming up Friday at noon, it's the weekly UofL Garden Commons Fall Workdays. The Garden Commons has relocated to a new location in the heart of campus at the southwest corner of Strickler Hall. It's just east of the Speed Art Museum, and all are welcome at our weekly group workdays in UofL's organic Garden Commons. And it's across the walkway, too, from the biology department's Corfidge Native Plant Garden, which is just looking amazing right now. That in itself is worth coming to check out. You can see native pawpaws there. Uh, there may even be some fruit available from the native pawpaws. And the flowers are just looking great right now. So join us to learn by doing how to grow hyper-local, super delicious vegetables, herbs, and fruits. Anyone can work in the garden anytime, but they gather every Friday at noon throughout the fall uh, until Thanksgiving, basically, to harvest weed, water, and plant. No prior experience is necessary. Tools and gloves are available, but please bring a mask and uh, bags to harvest into. Physical distancing will be utilized to keep everyone safe. The Garden Commons is open anytime for students staff, faculty, and community members to participate, and everyone who comes is welcome to share in the harvest. You can get more information at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Also on Friday the 4th at 7 p.m., there'll be an LGBTQ March for Black Lives. They gather at the KFC Yum Center there at 2nd and Main to celebrate black LGBTQ lives. They gather weekly for a march and party. They want to honor the struggle for justice for black lives and make clear connections to the LGBTQ struggle for justice. The first pride was a riot against police brutality. And so we march for Marsha, a black trans woman. We march for Sylvia. We march for every black trans woman murdered, for every black trans man attacked, for queer bodies, for black bodies. This is our fight too, and it's our turn to come out for black lives. So meet up at the KFC Yum Center at 7 p.m. The march at 7.30 to Injustice Square. Bring your placards and names of siblings murdered by the police. More information is at facebook.com slash injustice square. 
And then on Sunday, I want to remind you that this and every Sunday from noon to 2 p.m., it's Compost Church at University of Louisville's Community Composting Volunteer Days are every Sunday, noon to 2. It's just one block north of the main campus there on Cardinal Boulevard. It's it's between Brook and Floyd Streets on East Bloom Street, about 250 East Bloom. There's a gate to a big uh, grounds lot, and the composting happens at the back end of that lot, the north end of that lot. You can come help us turn trash into treasure as we manage the volunteer-powered community composting operation. Dressed to get dirty, tools will be provided. You can learn about worm composting, and all participants are welcome to haul back home some rich UofL compost for their own gardening or houseplant projects in whatever containers or vehicles you bring with you. This is a weekly service opportunity throughout the year, and you can learn more at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Also want to let folks know that tickets are on sale now for the Food Literacy Project's big annual fundraiser, Turnip for Change, which is taking place on Thursday, September 10th at 7 p.m. virtually this year at facebook.com slash the food literacy project. You can join them on Thursday the 10th for a virtual event to raise critical funds for the Food Literacy Project and Apron Inc. Now during this incredibly difficult time, your support for food justice and youth-driven social and community change is more critical than ever. The current health and economic crises have profoundly altered our lives and are disproportionately impacting our neighbors already marginalized by historic and systemic inequity. Hosting your own virtual house party or small gathering is a fun and easy way to support the Food Literacy Project. The event will feature exclusive wine recommendations from John Johnson of The Wine Rack. You'll get to explore our local food system with farmer Ivor Jadowski of Field Day Farm and celebrate the bounty of the harvest with a box of produce picked just for you by farmer Ivor. You'll find delicious recipes developed by youth in our community, draw inspiration from the Food Literacy Project cooking series, and discover the joy of learning by doing with family-friendly activities to help build healthy habits and a connection to the land so this is all happening on thursday september 10th at 7 p.m but you can get your tickets now at facebook.com slash the food literacy project it's a great fundraiser and hey while you're online why don't you go register to vote my friends the last date to register to vote is monday october 5th by 4 p.m you can do so at govoteky.com this year you want to skip the wait the chaos and the crowds of a election day by voting early and all Kentucky voters have two options to do so mail-in voting by executive order any Kentucky voter concerned about coronavirus may request a mail-in absentee ballot online at govoteky.com the deadline to apply online for a mail-in ballot is October 9th at midnight once you've requested a mail-in ballot you cannot vote in person unless you do not receive your ballot by the 28th of October and by executive order in-person early voting begins Tuesday October 13th and shall be available during regular business hours and at least four hours on the three Saturdays before November 3rd. So anyone can do it for Jefferson County residents. Early voting will take place at the Jefferson County Clerk's Office in beautiful Old Louisville, 701 West Ormsby Avenue. Get all the information, get registered at GoVoteKY.com. And that's about all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. Stay tuned. Lots of great stuff coming up on Forward Radio. And I'll be back in your ears again in one week's time, just after Derby. My darling, shady grow my true love. Well, I'm going back 